welcome to Quantum Drive. I'm Rob. I'm Katie. And I'm Mark. And our ongoing mission is to discuss every episode of The Orville. Except sometimes we go off on side missions where we talk about other Orville-related things. Today, we'll be discussing the graphic novel Digressions, which was written by David A. Goodman with art by David Cabeza and Michael Atiyah. Before we get into the discussion of this book, Katie, we do have a new review. (gasps) Yes, I am excited. I know we've been off for a bit, but we did get a new review in the hiatus. This one comes in from Big BK 5DC6. Yeah. Okay, I'm excited. You're like the anticipation. Yeah. What does it say? (laughs) They say, best Orville podcast. Can't wait until you are back with more shows. (gasps) I'm excited to be back, which speaking of which, the new season will be starting very soon. Oh, yes. Which means there will be episodes of us dissecting and discussing the new season three episodes of the Orville. And I'm very excited about that. Even more frequently than we used to in the past, Mm because we're going to have to go week by week this time. Oh, I'm excited for season three. I'm already going to be sad when it's over and all the episodes are out. Don't go there yet, Katie. I know. I want to treasure every single episode. And I'm excited that we get to like sit down after and like process it and discuss it and all that good stuff. Agreed. If people would like to send messages to us, you can email quantumdrive at thegeekgeneration.com. You can follow us on Twitter at quantumdrivepod. You can join Discord to discuss the show at thegeekgeneration.com slash Discord. And if you'd like access to Mark's alternate one-sentence reviews and bonus podcasts, you can support the show on Patreon at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. Speaking of Mark's alternate one-sentence reviews, we have a special guest today. We do. It's me. It's Mark. It's Mark. It's Mark. (laughs) Oh, hi, Mark. Oh, hi. Mark, who joins us for all of the comic book episodes, is rightfully back in his place today. Oh, thanks for having me. Hey, I love when you're on. Yeah, Mark reads a lot of graphic novels just in general, so you're kind of like an expert to me, I feel like. Oh, yeah. I'm so... Good at reading. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why we have you here. So to jump into our first story, we have two to discuss. We have digressions and we have artifacts. But to start off with digressions, alternate timeline Kelly recalls the events of tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow up to the point of denying Ed a second date. Ed seeks comfort from Gordon at a bar before telling him that he'll take any assignment he's offered at this point. Five years later, we see an altered version of the crew introduction scene from Old Wounds. The Orville's lead officer in this timeline is Captain Griffith instead of Mercer. Lamar has just been assigned to chief engineer, while Newton has been promoted to first officer. Fortis and Alara both still serve on board, while Isaac is just joining the crew. We join Ed on board the USS Watson, where he's serving as second officer. He requested a transfer to the Jefferson, but Captain Barrett has denied his transfer request to promote him to first officer. We then learn that Ed's motive to transfer to the Jefferson was that Kelly is the first officer of that ship. The Jefferson soon encounters the Orville, and Kelly remembers the failed memory wipe, the crew, and what is destined to happen. She confides in her husband, Cassius, and though he believes her, he convinces her that the Admiralty won't. A few months later, Alara has started to lose her strength as a result of being away from Zelaya and will be leaving the Orville. Before she goes, 
Her and Lamar share a kiss. <gasps> Lamar and Isaac are later seen discussing Alara's replacement when Isaac shuts down. The crew decide to bring Isaac back to Kalon to find out what's wrong, and we learn here that Dr. Finn is not the chief medical officer of the Orville. As a shuttle from a nearby station is docking with the Jefferson, Kelly is surprised to run into Claire and her boys. She learns that because Griffith was the captain of the Orville, she never requested a position there, and as a result, none of the Finns ever met Isaac. Kelly contacts Admiral Halsey to tell him about what's going to happen when the Admiral confirms that the Orville is already on its way to Kalon. Mercer is now serving on board the Epsilon Aridani station and brings Gordon on as his chief of staff. Kelly sends a priority message to Tala and Lamar on board the Orville and explains what's going to happen. They tell Griffith, who then calls Captain Mosley, who then reprimands Kelly, leading to Kelly's resignation. Grayson then recruits both Cassius and Claire to join her in finding the rest of the alternate timeline's crew. A few days later, the Orville is at the head of the Kalon fleet as it's making its way to Earth. Lamar took Kelly's warning to heart and prepared an EMP that will disable all Kalon on board. As Kelly's crew is preparing to leave Outpost 73, the Kalon attack and Cassius is killed. With most of the Orville crew dead, Borda stays on board while Lamar and Tala flee in an escape pod to find Grayson. As another group of Kalon is attacking and boarding the Epsilon station, Ed and Gordon depart in a shuttle, only to realize their food synthesizer is destroyed. As Bordis releases the dead from the shuttle bay, Kelly has successfully located John and Tala's pod and brings them aboard. The issue ends as the road not taken begins. Ooh. That one's a mouthful, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I really like this episode because I liked how, I called it an episode. I mm, liked this yeah. comic because it tied together the in-between yeah. between two very big plot points. And I... I have to say, from a writing perspective, that cannot be very easy to do. I had the yeah. same thought. He yeah. had an end point or like a beginning point for this. Mm -hmm. And we saw the two pieces that this story is sandwiched between. And yeah, the whole time I'm seeing those linking pieces set up. And I wonder how much of this story existed while they were brainstorming the stories that we saw on screen. And how much of it he had to do just given what already existed. Like, I don't know what came first in this situation. I just am very impressed with how they, the details in this alone from a fan perspective mm -hmm. was very enjoyable. And it got me excited about the show. And it felt like watching a theater of the mind episode. But you know totally. how you and I always like headcanon everything. This yeah. was like that good juicy headcanon <laughs> that I like. Yeah, it's almost like somebody filled in the headcanon for us so we didn't have to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I will say for me personally, The Road Not Taken was probably one of my least favorite episodes. Mm. Like, I don't know what it was about it. However, in reading this, it made me appreciate the episode more. And because of all the stuff you guys were saying, like, it just, I don't know, felt like it had more weight to it than just a kind of like, oh, here's just a fun what if episode. Mm -hmm. I want to ask, did... We know that John and Alara had a little thing for each other. So there was a suggestion in The Road Not Taken when they see each other at the station. They kind of give each other a look and it was very implied and speculative. And we kind of headcanoned a little bit about it. But this is official confirmation of that now. Yeah. yeah. Now we know that there was a little thing between the two of them. Mm. 
right before she leaves. Before we continue the discussion, there is trivia. There is trivia. Barrett, who is visually based on Sigourney Weaver, which I noticed she looked like Sigourney Weaver and has a partially obscured alien figurine behind her in her office. So if you don't know, Sigourney Weaver played Ripley in the Alien franchise. And I just love that they do nods to other sci-fi sagas and adventures in this. Like they just appreciate sci-fi from a, I guess, a complete and whole perspective. Like to include that kind of detail, it's very impressive to me. Yeah. And clearly they had to walk a line without like showing the actual full alien figurine. So Mm -hmm. like you see her and then you just see like a tail of the alien coming out from the side of her head so you can kind of fill in the mental blank with the rest of the alien. It's like a Easter egg for hardcore sci-fi fans. Absolutely. The Watson is named after geneticist James Watson, and the captain of that ship has a black and white photograph of the geneticist hanging on her office wall, which is interesting. So a geneticist, do we fully know? Like, they study genes, obviously. Mm-hmm. I think they were the ones who, like, finished sequencing DNA. Or something oh, like that, no. Watson and Crick. Because I, when I, I saw the picture and I went, Watson. I was like, Watson and Crick? I don't know. So I looked, I was like, it doesn't look like the same guy, but I think it is. <laughs> and so then, yeah, I read a little bit, but I won't lie. I do music and not science, so I could be wrong. <laughs> either way, you're still more learned about it than either of us. So yeah. <laughs> happy to have you here. All right. And the last piece of trivia for this comic is David Cabeza, who inked the comics as a cameo as a shuttle bay officer speaking with Kelly at the end of part one. That's pretty cool. A little super cool, yeah. Sneaky, like, I'm going to put myself in here, you know. Make yourself a part of Orville Cannon in a way. Yeah, Yeah. which I think is pretty neat that you can, as an artist, be like, I want to sneak myself into something. It makes me feel like David Cabeza loves this, and I wouldn't put myself in something I didn't love. Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. So diving into the story itself a little bit, we talked about it being a nice bridge between the two. There are some interesting things in the story itself as well. And of course, some nitpicky things just because we analyze everything based on all the reasons that Captain Barrett gives for not liking Ed because Ed this whole time is like complaining, oh, she hates me and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I am surprised that she would promote him instead of just approving the transfer request. Because mm-hmm. there's got to be a lot of other capable officers that she'd actually get along with. I think that would be easier to find. It did seem like she was finding a reason to keep him around. Yeah. And she said it was just because he was capable. Mm-hmm. But like, there's got to be other capable officers. And one of those capable officers, she probably would get along better than with Ed. But it's almost like as a teacher, you have that kid in class who's always causing problems, but you know they can do better. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, okay, maybe if I give them some specific job or like some kind of incentive, it'll unlock that potential in them. And I guess Ed's the naughty student. Maybe. I mean, the very much could be that like Star Trek always alludes to that make yourself a better person kind of thing. Maybe this was a lesson for Ed or some sort of, <laughs> but also it's an alternate universe. So maybe there has been some differences in how they conduct things. Maybe possibly. I am really glad that you'd read the whole description over because it's been a while since I've heard the name Cassius mm. <laughs> and I oh, was going to yeah. say, Oh yeah, Cassius is in this. <laughs> <laughs> But I thought that was kind of neat that in the alternate timeline, they still found each other. 
because mm-hmm. I guess I don't know if she necessarily, I can't remember if she would have known Cassius in kind of our timeline mm. and that Kelly and Cassius did get together and sought him out or if things still happen to work out that way or what. But he just seems like such a good guy. He does. Yeah. It's too bad we watched him die. <laughs> I was gonna, yeah, I was going to say that was a rough death because, yeah. I mean, he's been a part of the cast and he kind of got a little burned by Kelly. But to see them married, that was kind of like a big reveal, I mm-hmm. feel like. And then yeah. in the next breath, he's dying. And we all should have seen it coming. I know. Because yeah. we know he's not in The Road Not Taken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I still had hope. I was like, I don't know where this is going to go. <laughs> Maybe they just drop him <laughs> off there, even though we know. And he's like, I got to stay here and work on things. But I think it would have come up that. Yeah. Yeah. My husband's down there doing some work. Nope. He just died. I feel like it gives Kelly the resolve to be like, now I have to lead the resistance. And it's not just kind of like, oh, I know all this timeline stuff. But it's like now she really feels it mm. more than just. You know, I know what I need to do. It's actually one of the reasons I feel like this story was constructed after the fact, after the episodes, because if that was part of Kelly's background leading into The Road Not Taken, that they had known when they filmed it, she probably would have been even more gung-ho than we saw. Mm. One of the uh, oddest things in not just this story, but in like all of sci-fi that happens all the time is you have these stories where absolutely crazy stuff happens. And then you have one character who thinks that no one's going to believe them because a crazy thing happened to them. Mm -hmm. So like, even if Kelly believes that Isaac might not turn on them in this timeline, it's probably still best to play it safe and take the gamble and tell the union. And everyone's like, no, that's crazy. That's crazy. Be like, You live in this sci-fi world where crazy stuff happens all the time. And that's such a common thing in so many, not just like this and Star Trek, but like so many sci-fi things and fantasy shows and everything. We like, we've dealt with so much stuff. Why would this seem like a far-fetched idea at this point? Yeah, it's always like the one thing that goes too far. Yeah. Like, yo, you're talking crazy as they're like flying around (laughs) space in a spaceship. I like that Claire did a scan of Kelly, though, to be like, can you tell that I had a memory wipe done on me? And it was almost like a way to validate like, hey, I'm not crazy. But I did appreciate that Cassius believed her. And it wasn't like, I I don't know, that little detail I appreciated just because, you know, a lot of people were like, "Okay, lady. And she had a couple people in her corner. And also, you know, when John came up with that, just in case EMP thing, it helped kind of control the situation a little bit better and maybe that they had more faith in Kelly than just like, oh, this lady called us and she's kind of a a whack job. Yeah. So (laughs) I love Isaac, but it always brings up that kind of sadness when you see the Kalon storyline starting to build where Mm -hmm. I'm like, man, I love Isaac. But because Claire didn't have that relationship with Isaac in this, that's why Kelly was like, oh, no, this could go real bad real fast. Mm -hmm. So It was just a neat way to tie the stories together. I appreciated how they did this and it kind of helps fill in the blanks for me because I was I'm always curious about any sort of alternate timeline situation. I I mean, if we didn't get this comic, we would not have even known this story. True. So I appreciate that they make supplemental content for the Orville outside of just the TV show. Yeah, because everything we got was implied 
or suggested or, but we mm-hmm. had confirmation of very few things. I just appreciate that the universe is bigger than just a TV show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one of the things they did really well toward the end of it was kind of that, like, here's the last thing that happens to each of the characters before getting into the episode. And I thought to me, the most impactful was actually Bordis. Because, you know, in The Road Not Taken, we do have this big reveal that he's been underwater for however long. And it's kind of like, oh, crazy. But in this, there's a lot more emotion to it. Yeah. And he's saying goodbye to Clyden. And like, just I thought that was nice, like and just had a lot more emotional impact than in the episode it did. Well, it's kind of like the Viking funeral situation, too, where he Mm -hmm. has all the Mm -hmm. crew and then he like says, thank you for your service and like shoots them out or not shoots them out, opens the bay doors yep, and they go out into the ocean. It also explains why the shuttle bay was flooded Mm because in the episode we saw that the shuttle bay was flooded. We didn't necessarily know why it was because they opened the doors to let the caskets out. That's why I feel like this specifically, it was just the detail, the Mm -hmm. level of detail. There's just something to me that I just appreciate. There's a lot of care taken with the story and I didn't have to headcanon anything to make it make sense. Even the food synthesizer getting broken. Like now we know how. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that is really sad to think about Bordis though, just being down there by himself. Yeah. I think it was like eight months or something. Yeah. I'd go crazy. I don't, (laughs) I would not. Well, you don't like underwater anyway. So yeah. I don't like underwater, (laughs) deep ocean and then by myself. I mean, I guess you could go to the simulator. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. But we all know how we that know might go for it, yeah. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> this will be just fine. Fine. It'll be great. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, I think just as far as kind of graphic novel-wise and art-wise, mm-hmm. I, I know I've said it in all of our other ones, but I appreciate how Kabiza shows motion because it's really just a lot of, you know, lines, but not not over the top. It's just kind of suggestive. And I think I just sort of flip back through it and there are no onomatopoetic words in it. So there's no like boom or ka-chow or any of that stuff. And there are a lot mm-hmm. of explosions. And personally, I think that's cool. Like that you don't need that. There's even one scene where I think it's Kelly's captain says like, what the F were you thinking? And he pokes his finger on the desk and there's like a, a force impact of his finger on mm-hmm. the desk where it's like, Poof! and even just those little things I thought were really well done artistically. And, and as always, you know, the characters look like the characters, yeah. which I just, I can't yeah. draw to save my life. So that always impresses me anyway, but I just think the art continued to be really good in this. And yeah, the artists capture the feel of the show and just the spirit of it. And a lot of times, like I know I'm reading it, but it feels like I'm watching an episode, Mm. but the way they convey emotion in the facial expressions too is incredible. Absolutely. And this isn't to say anything ill of the prior issues, but I think, David Cabeza's likenesses of the characters continues to improve as we go through each one. Like they're getting more and more spot on. Not that they ever weren't. They just feel like so much more authentic this time. 
I just love the full page pictures too, which yeah. just all like art with maybe a couple words. Like I look forward to those every time I get one of these. I'm like, I can't wait to see the the full page pieces. And then in the back of the, we got the physical copy and they have like some of the sketches, mm. like yeah. the concept art and all of that, or even like the ships and like the ships from all angles, which in the comic, they might just be side view yep. or something. But the artist has taken the time to be like, all right, 3D, this is what it would look like. Yeah, you got to be prepared for everything. Yeah, so I I love looking at that when I finish the book or the comic because I'm like, oh, it's neat to see what that alien could have looked like or more details of this specific ship. But I do, I, I really love the art and what I like to call space porn. And they do like yeah. the nebulas or yep. like the galaxies. And I'm always like, oh, it just looks so good every single time. It does. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is big I guess thanks because I enjoyed it, but big thanks to Michael <laughs> Atia as well. Cause like the use of lighting, mm-hmm. I think is mm-hmm. really good, especially in the space porn kind of scenes. Agreed. Or there's a little bit of like when Cassius and Kelly are kind of having a serious discussion before she goes and embarks on her journey, there's some like purple lighting, which I think just subconsciously like softens things a little bit for Mm -hmm. the scene and it's just all around i think the art's great and like katie said it feels just like you're watching the episode like in my head it's like this is just an episode yeah i feel like if you like orville obviously if you're listening to this podcast i'm assuming that you do (laughs) and you're like i don't know if i'd want to read a graphic novel i would say that don't sleep on these because if you like the show, the writing feels like an episode and the art just encapsulates what the Orville is. So if you've never read a graphic novel, I would recommend checking this out. And I think you might love it because I, I don't really yeah. read graphic novels all that much. Mm-hmm. I like them, but every time I start, I don't want to put it down until I finish it. Yeah. Like yeah. every time. And these specifically as well, if you're kind of new to graphic novels, I know this may sound silly, but they're easy to follow Mm -hmm. because the panels are laid out in a way where it's very clear kind of where to go next. And I feel like they do a good job of not having the big reveals until a page turn, which takes a lot of planning. Absolutely. For me, if I'm reading a novel and the story is really exciting, my eyes want to skip down the page. And the same thing happens with this, where you go, oh, something's building and you're trying not to look ahead to the next page, but they set it up really well where the reveals happen on page turns. And that takes a lot of planning and just effort. I mean, it's, they're great. I think too, of all the stories that we've read in the comics, digressions might be the easiest entry point for somebody who is watching the show, just because Mm -hmm. it is so much so built on the backs of existing episodes. Yeah. So that transition is pretty, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know for me too, and I think this is just kudos to the writing and the art together. I read it in the characters' voices, Same. and I can the joke delivery, like the humors that's that's in it. It just they've captured the personalities of each of these characters so well, and it reads like that. Mm-hmm. Which I don't think that would be a very easy task to accomplish. But like Gordon makes a joke, I read it as Gordon, yeah, telling that joke or in his sarcastic tone, like that kind of thing. Any other thoughts on digressions before we move on? I guess the only thing that I could think before we move on to the next thing is the John and Alara kiss. Mm. I just can't get over it. It just, <laughs> it was just kind of like a, 
I think John was like, oh, we're going to really do this now. And she's like, yes. And I'm like, damn. And then doesn't Isaac come back and be like, didn't you have sexual relations yeah. with her? <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that it's a small touch and it's something where if any of you were ever left wondering, there's an answer to that. Katie <laughs> likes the drama. <laughs> the drama. I do. I love it. And so I like those little things that are kind of peppered in because now I have some answers to some yeah. things I've always wondered. <laughs> Okay, moving on to artifacts. Ed and Gordon are at Outpost 47 when they encounter one of their old teachers, Professor LaMarche. He tells them that he's on an expedition related to astroarchaeology and will tell Ed all about it on the Orville. While hearing about the expedition, the two are interrupted by the professor's assistant, Chalmy, a being from the planet Cephalda. LaMarche wishes to go to the Cruxus system where he believes the ancient Zankin fleet lies, but the system's unique gravimetric and magnetic fields will make it incredibly difficult to enter. Meanwhile, Gordon befriends Chalmy and finds out that she didn't offer to travel with LaMarche. She was forced to go in exchange for her family receiving a food synthesizer. He brings this info to Ed and Kelly, but they abruptly dismiss him. As the Orville attempts to enter the system, they sustain massive damage. Ed tries to reverse course, but LaMarche prevents it, causing the deaths of three crew members as they break through. Once auxiliary power comes online, they're able to see the dormant Zankin fleet ahead. With no other options available, they decide their best chance of survival is going on board one of the Zankin ships, which unfortunately they'll need LaMarche's assistance for. He insists that he'll need Chalmy to come with them. As they approach a Zankin ship, the lights come on and a door opens for them to dock. Inside, they find no control panels, but when looking for the bridge, they're instantly teleported there. It's here that LaMarche reveals that Chalmy and her race are descendants of the Zankun, and her people have the ability to control the Zankun technology with their minds. Chalmy has unconsciously been causing all the actions aboard the ship so far. When Chalmy takes control and turns on the engines, LaMarche has her destroy a nearby asteroid to test the ship's weapons. Back on the Orville, the crew learn that the professor wants to turn the Zankin fleet over to the Union and have Chalmy's people leave their home to control the ships. When Gordon tells her this, she teleports back to the massive ship and destroys all the other fleet ships so her people won't be forced to leave. With that, she says goodbye to Gordon and heads home. I really enjoyed this comic. I did yeah. too. I really liked Gordon being kind of a main character in this as well. Yeah. Yeah. So LaMarche, that's how we say it, right? Well, how did you say it? LaMarche. I was basing it off of uh, Maurice LaMarche, who voices the brain on Animaniacs. Okay. So <laughs> LaMarche, I feel, which maybe that's an ode to that. Maybe. Maybe. He seems sketch from the beginning. He does. He got yeah. a sketchy vibe right out the gate. I was like, I don't like this guy, first of all. But one of the things that I noticed, and it's just a small thing in the beginning of it, Gordon gets ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And... <laughs> I can't remember the name of the alien because I don't have the comic in front of me, but the, he got ice cream from this kiosk and Ed was like, you know, there's a rumor they put stimulants in that. Yeah. And Gordon says, that's no rumor. <laughs> and I don't know why that specific thing just made my day. It makes absolute sense for Gordon. Yeah, he's okay with it. He's just, it's just Gordon. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And just when they run into LaMarche and he's just got ice cream all over his <laughs> face the whole time, it, that I was laughing out loud. And like Ed's just going, wipe your face. 
wipe your face like he says it <laughs> twice <laughs> be presentable <That's> great. yeah <laughs> represent the union please oh i think one of the things in this that right away opening first page there was yafit holding flowers mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i just immediately was like oh right yeah. in my heart and i think that was intentional i gotta oh. think that that was you know, just a little, I don't know, nod to Norm MacDonald and yeah. Yoffit. And I was really happy Yoffit was in this story because he wasn't in digressions at all. True. And so, I don't know, that just right away caught me in the feels jumping into this. It's something I didn't notice. Yeah, I, I was wondering if he was going to show up in the comics and I was like, I hope he does. And he did for artifacts. Mm-hmm. We have trivia for this one, too. We just jump right in. And just get too excited to talk about it. Okay, so some trivia for this comic, Artifacts. In one of the panels of the stores of Outpost 47, a man wears a shirt with the words 1976 Limited, or LTD. 1976 is the artist David Cabeza's birth year and is a signature he leaves in his art. I like that. Yeah. That's cool. I uh, didn't read this in trivia, but in reading the summary... I recognized it being Outpost 47. Mm-hmm. And 47 is a big number in Star Trek. Oh. It's a number that pops up a lot in a lot of episodes. Like they have Outpost 47 or they have 47 minutes till this happens. or It just comes up a lot. So hmm. I can't imagine that that's an accident. I feel like they have layers upon layers of Easter eggs in the Orville. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that it's just... You'll find something if you watch an episode or even read this. Like there, there's always something layered into, like as an homage Absolutely. to another sci-fi series. The ancient Bormanis stone is a reference to Andre Bormanis, supervising producer, science consultant, and writer on the Orville. Cool. I picked on that without even reading the trivia. Yeah. Also, just no big deal. Just a science consultant over here. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. And last but not least, Ed quotes, risk is our business, but cannot remember who first said it. The line is said by Captain James Kirk in the episode Return to Tomorrow from Star Trek, the original series. Love it. Got to get that little Star Trek nod in there. That also either answers a question or makes a question that I have about the Orville even more confusing. (laughs) Because based on all the stuff that they reference... Like they have Kermit on the desk and mm-hmm. all the stuff from that era. And I'm like, does Star Trek exist in the Orville? Mm. I would love to see something in an episode where they're like, oh, yeah, the Union was inspired by the Federation. Like we watched this on TV a long time ago. So when the time came for us to get to this technological point, we took some nods from that show we used to watch. I feel like a lot of things, sci-fi and horror specifically, never like to acknowledge directly Mm. the other things in the universe for some reason. Which is why I think they couldn't remember it here. Yeah. Uh, It leaves that still as an open question. Exactly. Yeah. I like that the Muppets are a part of this universe because I love the Muppets with a huge passion. So when I saw Kermit on Ed's desk for the first time, I was like, this is my show. Yeah. Didn't they say he was like Kermit the Great Leader? Yes, like it's yep. just yeah. Portis asks who he is and then yeah. Ed tries to explain. He's just like, never mind. What were you saying? 
I do wonder. I just, I've noticed with horror and sci-fi, they will not acknowledge the existence of other things in the universe for some reason. I don't know if it's like an unspoken rule, Mm -hmm. but like you'll never hear Freddy from Nightmare on Elm Street acknowledge like Jason Voorhees. Even though they've met. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But prior to that, they never would have. Yeah. Yeah. Like unless it's a crossover specific thing, like Alien versus Predator, there will not be, I don't know, maybe it's just, to leave us wondering so we ask questions like this it can pull you out of the universe sometimes so like the marvel movie the eternals references superman and you're like whoa is that like super meta it's meta but it's dc comics it's not another marvel comic but he's still acknowledging comic books yeah or it's like zombie movies where it's like we don't know what zombies are right come on right we we've seen this i i liked the they had the you know, four brothers system or whatever with the four celestial bodies and the science aspect of it with the gravity making it such a problem to get in because you're being pulled in all these different directions by the suns. And that was cool. Yeah. I want to talk about it's call me. Is that how you were pronouncing her name? I was saying Chalmy. Chalmy. I'll go with that because I don't know if there is an official way. We've never heard it said. So it's kind of interpretation. That's the thing with the comic book. That's a little strange. So it's what we say. (laughs) (laughs) In the back of the book, David Cabeza had a bunch of different concept art for what she could have looked like. Mm. And I just thought it was interesting based on the options that he had like eight, I believe. And the one that they landed on. I did want to protect her at all costs. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I was like, Gordon, her, I'm glad. I'm glad that they are friends. And I like that Gordon noticed the suspiciousness of LaMarche. So I appreciated that there was this kind of blossoming of their friendship and Gordon going like, this doesn't seem right. There's something about this that's really off. They traded her or he gave a food synthesizer to his parents to take her. Like, that's still suspect, even though she's like, I'm supposed to go back. I'm like, that's still really weird. Yeah. Not only is that the scene that obviously makes it that LaMarche is super sketchy, but that's the same scene that I had a feeling that Chalmy was related to the Zankin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because if it was that much of a thing that needed to be done and the story is pointing it out, it's like, okay, Chalmy's important for a bigger reason. Or else she doesn't need to be here. Yeah. But like Mark was saying, going into that system is so dangerous. They're starting to go into that system. And Ed's like, all right, this is a necessary risk. You know, we should pull back. And LaMarche just goes like, I'm going to push us into the system further and gets three people killed. Just almost like wild obsession is the best way to describe his character. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And this is not a new trope for a lot of like sci-fi. I mean, TV in general. Mm-hmm. There's always that character who goes a little bit too far. Just the fact, too, that they found the, the Zankin fleet mm-hmm. and he was still like thinking his purpose and his discovery was far more important than the death of those three people. It's just his whole energy was like, I don't like this guy. And that Gordon explaining to call me like, hey, he's going to try to get all your family to come fly these ships. Yeah. I did not see the ending coming because there was only a few pages left of the comic. The fact that she got back into one of the ships and then destroyed the fleet Mm -hmm. and then took that one home. Like, the thing is that there's still one out there, which I feel like is kind of important. And I don't think there's a garage they're going to fit it into. (laughs) No. So I tucked that away. I mean, clearly, you know, with them being in the union, they have to file a report on this, I'm assuming. Well, Uh, they've, they've skated by some things like this before. True. 
I just appreciated that she was like, no, I'm not going to let this be the future for my family, my friends. And just that the entitlement of this professor was just off-putting. And even after discovering it, and yes, he was right that this is where the fleet was hidden. He just, he deserves to be in the brig. Agreed. Well, and you could tell Gordon cared about Chalmy and was like the good guy from the get-go because he got her mac and cheese. <laughs> yes. And if you get someone mac and cheese. I love mac and cheese. It's an, I had mac and cheese for dinner last night. <laughs> True. Maybe it was subconscious. Oh my gosh, I read this comic and then I was like, we were at the store and I was like, you know what? I want mac and cheese. (laughs) But yeah, so Jami wanted something from the food synthesizer. They didn't have any of the food that she was normally used to eating. So Gordon recommended mac and cheese and that was a perfect choice. Mm -hmm. I want mac and cheese now. (laughs) I'm a little worried about Jami having a beak and trying to work with the mac and cheese, but I don't know what's right. going on inside that beak. So could be <laughs> yeah. fine. it seemed like she was doing all right yeah. with it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it would be amazing if we watch season three and there's, you know, Kalon battles and all this stuff. And last episode of season three, it's like everything's come down to the wire and Chalmy flies in <laughs> after never oh, mentioning my her God. the whole season and is just like, die, Kalon scum, and like, and just destroys their fleet. And everyone who hasn't read this is like, what just happened? This is oh for you God. completionists out there. Yeah. <laughs> Respect. <laughs> I found the scene with. Ed and Kelly teasing Gordon to be a little much in the sense that they're teasing him in a way that I normally wouldn't expect. Like there's a lot of ball busting going on in this show Mm -hmm. in general, but they are so dismissive of him. It fell out of character a little bit. Him thinking that LaMarche is acting shady seems totally reasonable given the evidence that he presents. Yeah. I think in this, the other thing like Gordon, you know, he does goofy things But his character even seemed more like a doofus than I feel like he's been in the show for this one story. Or at least treated that way. Yeah. And so that I I can agree with that. That makes me recall the conference room meeting that they have when Isaac goes through the information that LaMarche presents. And, you know, everybody else knew about it except Gordon. And I thought that felt very much like on par. And I like the jokes and they're like, well, so John and I are the only ones that didn't know. And he, John's like, I knew yeah. about this. Yeah, <laughs> like those funny. things. That was funny. I think the reason they were ribbing on him so hard was because she had said, well, I get to go back once we find the fleet. But I will say there's like red flag city mm. with this guy. It's just there's something off. But also Gordon had a very different relationship with him. Like it seemed like Ed was a memorable student and LaMarche was super dismissive of Gordon. And at the beginning, I mean, yeah, he had ice cream all over his face, but it seemed like on purpose that he was not viewed as important because he's the pilot. Yeah. And Ed is the captain of the Orville, which can take him where he needs to go. And he might be able to coerce Ed into doing something that Gordon really is not an important piece to that. So I wonder if there's like some subtle underlying Hmm. motives and maybe Gordon is a little bit more like, hey, I've been dismissed. I don't like that she was traded for a food synthesizer. Like, hey, there's some red flags and they're just more okay. More the way that I think about it (laughs) is like when people can have different experiences with other people, someone might have a negative Mm -hmm. and other people have a positive. 
seemed mm-hmm. like Gordon had the negative and these other people are having very positive experiences. Mm. So that's at least what my brain went to when I was reading it. Sure. And so Kelly and Ed are just like, come on, you're being crazy, but they're not being treated the same way that Gordon was. Yeah. One other thing that like for half a second when they get kind of teleported, mm-hmm. I had this just brief second where I went, oh, are we introducing teleportation? And I was like, are they going to start beaming each other up and down? Is there going to be no more flying in shuttles and standing in the back? And I was just They were like, standing in the back of the shuttle. I was going to point that out. I had that in my notes. Yeah. <laughs> I thought of you immediately, Rob. I was like, there they are standing behind the two seats. Even in the comics. I don't know why LaMarche didn't just say, hey, I think Chalmi might be able to help. And that's why I need my assistant to come with us. Like, I just don't know why he was being so secretive about it. Yeah, like, why hide that from Ed? Like, he's already in the brig. He's already caused a lot of havoc. Mm -hmm. It just seemed like an odd, like, I won't go if I can't bring my assistant. It was almost like that entitlement or that power move where it's like, oh, "Oh, let me show you what I know. LaMarche does strike me as somebody who lords information over others. Yeah. So I can see him unnecessarily withholding it until he wants to reveal it. It was interesting, too, that when Ed has the meeting with the Admiral, all of the, like, he's been not accepted by the scientific community for a while. He, his views are all over the place. I thought that was really interesting. One more red flag that they shouldn't have busted Gordon's balls about. Yeah. You had brought up the design of Chalmi earlier. And as we've said before, I really like Chalmi's design because... The comics do allow for more elaborate alien designs than we would probably see on TV. Just because creating a Chalmi, if you're not doing CG, would be a nightmare from like prosthetics and finding someone to fit in the costume of that size and all that stuff. So I do really appreciate seeing the imaginative species that they come up with for the comics. Yeah. Which makes me hope that someday she does show up in the series because though there'd be a lot of work to make her a reality i think but yeah i appreciate that we get to see things we probably couldn't see on the show Mm -hmm. purely because of actual limitations making television and access to cgi and effects and things like that yeah yeah they're also just throwing it out there in this each book had the f word oh and again with the comics i felt like so In previous comics, I was like, whoa, and it seems so just like, oh my gosh, I'm not used to this. And in digressions, it seemed a little bit like it made sense because it was when Kelly's captain was yelling at her like, what the F are you doing? And so I went, oh, that seems a little like, whoa, because they haven't said any other like vulgar quote unquote words Mm -hmm. up to that point. But in this one, Gordon, when there's some big reveal, he says like, Bortus. Me. And I I went, that makes sense. And that one I'm okay with. Yeah. And so again, I go with the Orville, new home on Hulu. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, are they going to be dropping a few F-bombs or? They prime in the pump. Yeah, exactly. I think there might be even some sexy scenes. Oh my oh, gosh, some scandalous. Maybe some <laughs> booty? I don't know. I have a feeling like it's going to be a more amped up adult version of the Orville. It's going to oh be like Game goodness. of Thrones. But oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> there is a, this isn't a trivia thing that I read either. I just kind of noticed it when I was reading. 
Gordon drops the all too famous Star Wars line. I have a bad feeling about this. Oh, it exists in every Star Wars movie. Nice. Every single one. Mm -hmm. I don't think I would have noticed that. But I also had a bad feeling about it as well. But it worked out in the end, I think. Yeah. The ship was a cool idea that it's controlled by their minds. Yeah. And Isaac was like, hey, there's no panels. I haven't seen any since we got here. So I personally really enjoyed the idea of a space civilization that created technology that you can control ships with your mind. I want a chair built to my size and specifications as well as that chair was built for Chalmi. Mm -hmm. She just kind of like melted right into that thing. It was made for her. Exactly. Like literally. Yeah. yeah. I just think, how come LaMarche didn't also say, hey, Chalmi, you have to open the door. Like, was she already thinking those things about a door opening or like a way to get inside? He suggested that they said something along the lines of, oh, you can't go home until we can get inside and do all this stuff. So he put the subconscious, he incepted the thought into her brain because he was basically using her as a subconscious controller. That makes a lot of sense. I was just thinking about that and I'm like, was she just ready? Like, because it's in her DNA to know what to do here. But that does make sense that there's also that motive that has been implanted. It was basically just reacting to her subconscious thoughts before she was making them herself, the actual orders. Yeah. In the end, though, I'm glad that LaMarche didn't get what he wanted and Chalmi got to go home. With, I think, the technology that is rightfully hers and her societies. Oh, yeah. As well. Absolutely. Because LaMarche was just trying to like, oh, this is mine. I discovered it. Yeah. Which is also, I don't know if that's a commentary on anything. I think there might be a subtle commentary there, which... Perhaps. Appropriation of alien technology? Oh. (laughs) You know, like Christopher Columbus? Mm. Yeah. So it brings up some philosophical questions, which I enjoy that internal discussion and then thinking about like, oh... Chalmi got to take that power back. And I think I appreciated that ending more than if, you know, because sometimes the Orville has very realistic endings where things don't go the way you think they're going to go. And it's not always that feel good moment. But I feel like this time Chalmi got vindicated and LaMarche got his just desserts. Speaking of LaMarche, there's one panel that I would like to point out from an Mm -hmm. artistic perspective. And it goes along with a thing that Mark had said before, where we don't see a lot of like emphasis or action lines. So when they do use them, it really, really makes that scene stick out. The panel in which LaMarche is ordering Chalmi to fire on the asteroid, he looks insane. Yeah. Yeah. And you see the emphasis lines all over the place. His hand is even like in a fist and everything. It's like, this guy's gone over the edge. Yeah. And while we thought it was just a motive of getting these things, there's some sort of weird power trip happening here too. Which I think is something these comics do well is showing us the emotion and showing us like you get the vibe of the character. Mm hmm. Like, yeah, you can watch the ones on TV and you, you know, you have that already in your head of their movements and their speech patterns and things. But when they introduce these new characters, you get a feel for that person. Like right out the gate, I was like, LaMarche is just do not like his presence. And so you get this, you build it almost the Mm -hmm. new character and they get just as much life as the main cast. There was something up with that old man mustache right from the (laughs) beginning. There was. And it just got worse at every stage. Agreed. 
Anything else about artifacts? It was good. Yeah, I think I like this one slightly more, but I I think it's because I enjoyed Gordon's being like kind of a main character mm-hmm. and the humor injected into it. But also it's it's all original content, but this one felt like a special mission and I enjoyed this one a lot. Yeah, I think I liked Artifacts a little bit more too for similar reasons. I like the achievement that Digressions was and the holes that it filled in. Yeah. But I'm more excited by a story where I have no idea where it's going. Whereas Digressions, I know that that is leading up to the road not taken. Yeah. I appreciate both. And I think I appreciate them in different ways. Totally. Yeah. I I really appreciate getting that in between between the two episodes or the two main plot points from the show and then getting a story as well that is unique and completely independent of the show. Mm -hmm. So honestly, this is I think if I were to recommend one for someone to start with, I would say this, the digressions comics would be the best one to start with. And then they could go back to the first and second. I agree. Yeah. Okay. Well, it looks like that is it for this episode of Quantum Drive, but we will see you all very, very soon for season three. Yes. In the future. (laughs) In the future. (laughs) This very near future. Quantum Drive is a production of the Geek Generation. If you like this show, be sure to check out our other podcasts on the Geek Generation Network at thegeekgeneration.com. If you'd like to support the show and get access to exclusive bonus podcasts along with other perks, you can visit our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. You can follow Quantum Drive on Twitter at Quantum Drive Pod and me at the Rob Logan. You can follow me on Twitter at Play Katie Play and on Twitch at Katie Peters Plays. And Katie is spelled K-A-T-I-E. Please rate the show and write a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do, we may read your review on an upcoming episode. Finally, questions and comments can be sent to quantumdrive at thegeekgeneration.com. We're out of here for now, but we'll see you soon in In the the future. future.